you would like to open your Bibles to, as Rob said, Matthew chapter 13, we will be reading verses 1 to 17. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things and parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no roots, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For it is... <clears throat> Excuse me. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is a field that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, Many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. This is the word of the Lord. Be interesting if they say thanks be to God in eight seconds from now or 12 seconds or whatever, we'll hear them. I'm tired. I need. I'm getting old. That's why I've got the glasses on. I don't know if it looks cool or not, but anyway, it is what it is, right? It's part of life, guys. Amen. Those of you that are above 40, that's how it is. Exactly. Four kids and 40 years old, and your eyes go bad. So, speaking of kids, uh, my kids love it when I share stories with them. In fact, they will often say to me, "Dad, Dad." Can you share a story with us tonight before we go to bed? Please, please, Dad, a scary one. Because I've got all kinds of stories about my life, and some of them I can't share. But, you know, so, okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. I'll tell you a story. So I go in, and I either try to bunk up with Ellie, or I lay on the ground, and I go, well, let me tell you a story. When my dad used to take me to the shops when I was nine years old, one day, it was really hot. As we were driving there, Bang, I've got them. I probably even have half of you, right? Because you're already starting to picture hot day in the car, dad shops. 
there's something about stories that captivate us. They motivate us. They, they instantly grab our attention, right? It might surprise you, Jesus in his ministry told stacks of stories and they're called parables. And today we're actually gonna be diving back into the gospel of Matthew and looking at a section, which Jeanette just read part of it, but looking at the whole of Matthew chapter 13. And 13 is all about parables. There's just parables left, right, and center. But I guess my question is, what are these things, what is this thing called a parable? And why did Jesus use them? So today's gonna be kind of an intro to that. What are these parables and why does Jesus use them? Why, why choose this vehicle? Why choose this medium, so to speak? So that, that, that's where we're headed. We're gonna kind of, next week, we're gonna begin to really unpack more of the specifics of the parables and all of that. But for this week, we're just gonna slide into it. Now, that's where we're headed. Um, let me pray and then we'll, we'll dive into it. Lord, again, we thank you for your word. Thank you that, as Reynard was saying, Lord, it's, uh, it's not just something that we hear read and then shelf it, but Lord, your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I pray that this church, Lord, Wyoming Church of Christ, Lord, that, you would, that we would be marked by people of the word, people of the book. Uh, Lord, not just people that get excited on a Sunday morning and shelf it, uh, but Lord, truly that your word's penetrating in our, into our, deep into our hearts and minds throughout the week, and, and Lord, that we're pushing one another on to live out its truths. Pray now as we open your word, Lord, and we think about these interesting things, parables. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? In Christ's name, amen. So in Matthew 13, we have several parables and it's all too easy to get lost amongst them um, or to sort of see these parables as kind of like a random smorgasbord of stories where Jesus is just trying to keep our attention. But that would really miss the whole art and craft and tapestry of the gospel of Matthew. Uh, if, if you've been with us at all through the Gospel of Matthew, one thing's for sure. This guy, he has very intentional, selective uh, structuring of his book. It's not just sort of, he's cherry-picking different stories about Jesus, but it has a very nice flow to it. Same goes with the parables. In fact, I'm going to let you have a go at guessing what you think if you were to sort of think of Matthew 13 as sort of its own little microcosm, if you will, as its own little or a package thing called parables, if in fact what I just said is true, that Matthew's intentional and he's, he's structured his book carefully, what do you think, if, you, if there is one, what do you think the main theme around these parables are? In other words, Picture it like a roundabout. What's sitting in the middle of that roundabout? What, what theme, what phrase? I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you a hint. John the Baptist used this phrase. Jesus used this phrase. 
And he says, repent for the what? Kingdom of what? Heaven. Yes, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of heaven. Seems to be the intersection where all these parables meet. For instance, the opening parable is about the sower and the seed. I can't wait to look at that next week. And it's interesting because when Jesus gives the interpretation, what does he do? He relates it to this idea of the kingdom of heaven. And then right after this, you have two more parables. You have the wheat and the tares, right? Or the wheat and the weeds. And then you have another parable as well. And what are both of those parables about? Ultimately, ultimately you have good and bad, right? You have good good weeds, bad weeds. You have good fish, bad fish. And all of that gets separated at the end of the age when the kingdom of heaven comes. There it is again. Lastly, you've got four little mini parables all about the hiddenness and great value of the kingdom. So can you see there, there's, you see the theme, the kingdom of heaven? If you sort of just picture that again, like this roundabout out here even. And as we go around, we're gonna see all kinds of, you know, four or five different exits, but in the middle, in the middle is the kingdom of heaven. That's what the parables are about. Now, let's jump into it because this is a fascinating scene actually here in, in Matthew's gospel it says, if you have your Bibles, it says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. What a scene, right? What an incredible scene. You, you've got droves of people flocking to Jesus. So much so that he actually needs to climb into a boat to be able to address them all. And then what does he do? He assumes the same posture that he did back in chapter five. He sits and the people stood. But there's something a little bit different to chapter five. It's not just the location. It's not just the setting. Because back in chapter five, I'm referring to the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, Jesus sits, addresses the people, they stand. It's not just the fact that he's got a floating pulpit or lectern. There's something particular about this. It's the method he uses to communicate. It's the vehicle, it's the medium that he uses to communicate. It's this thing called a parable. Look at verse three. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell in good soil and, and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay, out of a show of hands, parable of the sower, or you could say the four soils. How many of you, prior to me reading it, have heard this parable before? Out of a show of hands. Okay, yeah, great. 
So many of you, maybe you've heard that in Sunday school. Um, maybe your Sunday school teacher had a flannel, flannel graph board of you know, different types of soil or whatever it might be. Maybe you've heard a sermon on this before. We're pretty familiar with Jesus sort of shifting his teaching style in the parables here. But you have to keep in mind, if you put yourself, just for a second, put yourself in the disciples' shoes or thongs, right? This would have been quite confusing because after Jesus shares it, that's why they come and ask him, um, kind of scratching their heads, why, why, why this shift to parables? Can you help us understand that? They have no idea what he's doing. Because up to this point, remember, remember the disciples? He, he's called them from the shores of Galilee. They've seen firsthand his God-given powers and his, and his ability to communicate clearly. Remember, these, these were fishermen. Uh, these, these were tax collectors. These were political revolutionaries who were compelled by the power of Jesus and his ability to speak so clearly his words found a home deep within their hearts and their, their deepest affections and hopes. But now in chapter 13, Jesus seems to be a bit out there, a bit bonkers. I mean, like what a bizarre story about a careless farmer who goes out to sow seed, most of which is wasted on the road. I mean, any good farmer, Alan's not in here, Alan's out there, but any good farmer would know you don't sow your seed on the road, Right? And the other seed he sows in a really poor place where there's going to be thorns. And then there's this one little portion left. And he takes that little portion and that one little portion produces an astronomical, unheard of, fairy tale-like crop. What kind of sermon is this? And what does this vague little story have to do with anything? You can almost hear the disciples whispering amongst themselves, man, I missed the Sermon on the Mount. That was the real clear stuff. This guy is just out there now. What's going on? And, and that's why they approach him, right? A bit sheepishly, probably, in verse 10, you see that? Then the disciples came and said to him, um, why do you speak to them in parables? Now, his answer, don't miss this, his answer is as shocking as the parable that he just shared was. He says, to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand? Wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought parables were meant to clear things up, not obscure them, Jesus. Come on. I was under the impression that he told these stories so that everything was clear and simple and everybody would understand. Isn't that why people flocked to Jesus and followed him? What's going on here? So let me set up two signposts to help you. Because that, that might be, if you just read it, you know, this isn't me sort of pulling a rabbit out of my sleeve. You can just see the plain sense meaning of it, right? It, it, it seems like, it seems as if 
there's a bit of concealing the truth here from the, the masses. Is there not? And there's definitely a switch of style between Jesus speaking plainly to Jesus speaking in this sort of cryptic way. So what is going on here? Two signposts that let me help you with, that you can understand this. One, we'll call it the secret. And two, we'll call it the separation. The secret and the separation. Now, what do I mean by secret? Again, Jesus has changed his speaking style from speaking openly and plainly, as he did in the Sermon on the Mount, to in this cryptic sort of way. And the reason for this was not to make his teaching widely understood. To the contrary. And it's no accident, by the way, that the shift in teaching style occurs right after Matthew chapter 12. It's been a while since we've been in Matthew, but in Matthew chapter 12, there was this big, massive opposition to Jesus by the religious establishment. So much so that they say, this guy is from Satan. This guy needs to die. I'd say that's a pretty big rift. And so, Jesus changes his teaching style in order to conceal and reveal. Come with me again to verse 13 and you'll see what I mean. Come with me to verse 13. He says, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Can you see how parables are used to actually conceal the truth there? I mean, it's not, it's not, this would be a, a very, I guess, flat-footed sort of natural way to read it. You can say, well, look, you know, some people get it, some people don't. That's just a fact of life, right? That's just how things go. Some people, the penny drops. Other people, it takes a while. And other people never get it. That would be true on a sort of natural level if you're in university. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is saying, actually, the reason the penny doesn't drop for people is because it's the purpose of God that it doesn't. I mean, that's a bit, think about that for a second. That might kind of rattle your Jesus cage a bit if you just think about that, your picture of Jesus. They're used to conceal. That, that's what parables are for. But they're also, they're also, before we just go down the path of fatalism, they're used to reveal. So parables are used to conceal and reveal because in verse 16, he doesn't just say, this is why I speak in parables so that everyone can be damned. So that's not what he says. Look at verse 16. But blessed are your eyes. So begin the, the disciples in the boat with him. For they see and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So there you have the revealing, you see. You have the concealing. It's sort of, in a sense, it's, it sort of has a two-edged effect, doesn't it? They impart blessing or confer judgment. The word of God either blesses us or judges us. Parables conceal and reveal. Let me, let me be clear on this. If one is not given, and check this, by the way, 
you got your own Bible. You have your own, you have your own brain. I'm not, you know, I'm not the apostle Rob up here. It'd be nice. But, you know, you got, you got your own Bible, got your own brain. Put, think about this. See if, see if you agree with this. Just look at the plain sense meaning of this. If one is not given the knowledge to understand that is given by God, then the meaning remains a mystery, a secret. On the other hand, if one is given the knowledge, then understanding occurs. You see the two-edged way there that parables conceal and reveal. That's the secret, you see. Now, what about the separation? I mean, if the image of Jesus saying some are given insight while others are left in the dark might have been a bit bristling to you or caused you to squirm in your seat a bit, buckle your seatbelt because this one's going to get even more intense. Because now he's going to divide people. <gasps> Jesus, the divider. Yes, Jesus is going to divide people into two groups. He's going to separate all of humanity into insiders or outsiders. Insiders or outsiders. And this is where Matthew draws from Isaiah chapter 6 that Nigel just read for us. Look at verse 4, 14, sorry. Now we have the separation. Look at this separation. Indeed, in their case, the prophet Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand and you will indeed see but never perceive for these people's hearts or their heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and with their eyes they've closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Amazing. This passage comes from Isaiah 6. It's a crucial text where Isaiah gets a vision of the holiness of God in the temple. He's then commissioned by God to preach a message of repentance to wayward Israel. But God tells him that this message will actually not be received or accepted because of Israel's hardness of heart, right? What a shock. What a a twilight zone moment for Isaiah You've seen the Lord, right? And the train of his robe filled the temple. And he's holy, holy, holy. You'd be pretty switched on after that, do you think? And you go, just let me loose. I'll even go to the dark side of Wyoming. Revival's gonna happen. You just watch. And people go, eh, get lost. Would that not be a bit shocking? Yet in the midst of this prophetic judgment, there is a word of hope though. Isaiah's hearers will not understand the message. That's that's what he says to them. They're not gonna understand the message or literally the good news of the gospel until the time of judgment is complete. Are you still with me? This 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 is key to understanding why he even slaps this big thing of Isaiah in here. So so here comes the hope. Though judgment is going to be happening, Isaiah is told that God will leave for himself a holy seed, a remnant from the stump of David. This is how the chapter ends that Nigel just read for us. It says, and though a tenth remain in it, 
it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Meaning, that's helpful, you can see it there. Meaning, what does this mean? Seems, there's a lot of image there, right? But it basically means there will be a remnant that God does reveal himself to and save. Because he says to Isaiah, go, I'm sending you. But you know what? These people, their, their hearts are, are hard, their ears are dull, blah, 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 right? However, it's not all bad. It's not all doom and gloom. Guess what? There is a remnant that I will reveal myself to and save. And ultimately, 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 this points forward to the Messiah himself. Because just a few chapters later in Isaiah 11, it says this, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. You see, you hear the same language there? I'm excited about it. Hopefully you're kind of getting excited about it. Remember we just learned about the stump, that image of about the remnant being a stump. And he says, now there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. That's King David's dad. And now this finely Davidic king figure, the son of David, who's that? Jesus himself. That's how Matthew starts it off. This is the genealogy. This is, right? He says the son of David. And you see King David theme being repeated again and again and again. That, that, that is absolutely amazing. Now, why did Jesus then choose to quote these verses? I mean, think about it. Here, just give, it, give us a visual here. That's the Old Testament, Okay. Jesus knew his Old Testament pretty well. Yes, agreed? So he's got the whole honking book here to, to quote, and yet he just quotes that passage in, re, in relation to his parables. Not, not, I mean, think about it, like that's, that's, a, that's a lot, right? So then why quote this passage from Isaiah 6? The reason Jesus quotes these verses about his own teaching and parables is because he is saying that this reality, judgment and remnant, is now fulfilled and consummated in him. He is the root of David, the ultimate prophet who preaches the mystery of the kingdom, the mystery that God has come incarnate in Jesus himself and who is calling to himself a chosen remnant who will be granted understanding or insight. The great separation is already occurring according to the one, how one responds to Jesus and his message. Isn't that precisely what we see in the parable too, by the way? I mean, th that's, that's what goes on in the very, in the parable in the context of what Jesus is talking about, the parable of the four soils. You have some, who don't care, some who care too much and they get shriveled up and they get choked out, but there's a remnant. There's a remnant who by God's sovereign grace is able to understand and hear and, and respond to the message of the kingdom. And that's exactly the same thing with the wheat and the weeds or the wheat and the tares, same thing. Both parables speak of separating the good from the bad particularly at the close of the age when the Son of Man, Jesus, comes and doles out reward and judgment. All who follow Jesus are the holy remnant 
whom God graciously preserves even in the midst of his judgment. That's extremely encouraging. There is a separation there, though. Can you see it? There is a separation. One of the main themes of Matthew is the people of God are no longer defined by Jewish ethnicity, but by faith in Jesus. Well, that, that, that's right there. That's very clear. You know, when you think about separation as well, I, I might be reading into this too much. You, you know, so you get a theme in your head and it colors everything. So with that caveat, it is interesting that Matthew decided to note the fact that Jesus gets into the boat and separates himself. Could be reading too much into that, maybe, fair enough. But I do find it interesting that there's, a, there's already a visual separation between the people that he's addressing, right? And then him and his disciples in the boat. There, there's a, a great separation that is happening because as we'll see, the disciples are the ones enlightened, whereas the crowds are puzzled. And it's because Jesus intentionally uses this method of communicating called a parable. Now, what, what should we take away from this? Two points of application as we close. The first one is this. The principle here of, you wanna, if you want to call it the secret and the separation, or the, the principle of all those parables, the first principle should be this. There should be a, a, a humble praise to God. In other words, Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. Like that's, does everyone here have ears? Yes. It's like, oh, I got, I got ears. I got ears. Maybe he's just talking to people that aren't deaf or something. That's, that, that would be a very ridiculous way to read it. He who has spiritual ears, let him hear. And where did those spiritual ears come from? God himself. You see? It's, it's not as if, if you're a Christian here this morning, it's not as if you sort of sat back and got to sort of weigh this out and go, hmm, you know, seems like this is making, this is probably the best po possible option. There's a lot of other religions out there. I don't want to be irreligious. I think I'm going to choose Jesus. Or it's not as if, you know, if you're a Christian, it's not as if it's because, you know, well, it's proximity, right? You know, it's because, you know, I grew up in church or, or whatever. There's plenty of people that can grow up in church that still die and, and go to hell. There's plenty of people that, uh, you know, can come to Sunday school and all those things and, and never close with Christ. But, it, but if you have, if you have become a Christian, it is because God has given you eyes to see and ears to hear. There was a moment when, hopefully, you were actually born again, that you were converted. But that moment wasn't you. That was God. God did that. You didn't do that. Remember when Shane preached a few weeks ago, the condition he describes of all of humanity, dead in trespasses and sins? How does a corpse respond? Can't. Spiritually, we all are born corpses, so to speak. 
can never respond to Christ unless he first draws us to himself, gives us eyes to see. Isn't that what Luke talks about? Do you remember when Paul the apostle goes to Philippi and he tries to find a, he tries to find a, a church or a synagogue and there's basically not one there? So then he goes down to the river and he sees a handful of women worshiping and one of them is named Lydia. And as Paul is sharing the gospel with Lydia, how does Luke describe it? God opened her heart. Well, Lydia chose, she, she chose, sorry. She was her choice, she had a free will. And Is that the way Luke describes it? Is that the way that Jesus describes salvation here? No, absolutely not. See, when you stepped over the line and you became a Christian, yes, you weren't a puppet, you were placing your faith in Christ, but the only way that you cross the line is because God quickened your heart, you see. So you, you made a choice, but you would have never made that choice if God didn't first come to you in grace. Now, second point related to that. That, that, that should, by the way, that should blow your mind. Like there, there's no reason that you should be a Christian. None. I have no hope in you guys. Seriously. Or myself. Sorry. Not a humanitarian. I'm not a humanist. I don't. But I have hope in God. And, and I, I see Christ working in many of you. And I say, wow, that's a miracle. Honestly. Point to Reynard again and embarrass him. Reynard was likely converted not, what, a year ago, give or take. And it was just from sitting under God's word being taught, particularly the gospel of Matthew when we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. Reynard should still be in the same place he was at. There's no reason Reynard should be a Christian. But God gave him eyes to see and ears to hear. You see, that, that's, that's encouraging. And, and, and you know, the Lord completes what he begins. He who began a good work in you, be faithfully completed until the day of Christ Jesus. You can be anchored in that. The Lord doesn't choose his bride and then divorce his bride. He's committed to her to the very end. We are the bride of Christ. You, you, you don't, you know, you don't start your salvation. You don't finish it. The Lord from start to finish is the one who carries you through, draws you to himself. That's incredibly encouraging. I don't know why on earth anyone would have beef with that, by the way. And if you read Genesis to Revelation, it's, it's absolutely clear, really from top to bottom. Now, on that note, on that note, this is the second point of application. If that's true, and salvation is all of God, and, and God does all of those things. He's sovereign, yes, 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 yes. That should then shape the way that we do evangelism. Now, what do I mean? Because Jesus, what do we often do? What do Christians, I think, mistakenly do? We try to sort of woo people into the kingdom, right? Don't offend. Just, just don't get their nose out of joint. Just, just be... You know, just, just, just try to just be as friendly as humanly possible. And you should be friendly, right? Don't be a jerk. I hope we don't, we're not marked as the jerk church. But, you know, like, we, 
be as, as friendly as, you know, yes, yes, yes. Just don't get people out of joint. And we're just trying to woo people. We're just trying to make sure that you can, they can, you know, maybe, maybe just a little, you know, close their eyes, pray a prayer, raise their hand up or something, you know, just, just try to get them here to church. And, and, and yes, we want them to come to know Christ, but you see, like, our job is to be faithful to the message. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. When you water down the gospel to make it palatable for people, you actually just strip it of its power. Do you realize that? It's a gospel that's easy to accept, but powerless to save, ultimately. So, you know, there's all this, uh, these movements from the seeker-friendly movement right on down to what you see going on in many churches here on the Central Coast. Do you know why they're acting a certain way and sort of polishing up their messages and trying to make it palatable for people? It's because they have this view that's actually false. It's actually inverted about, a, about who God is and how he works. And so therefore, then they're going to take this view that's wrong and then it's going to color all the rest of their evangelism and the way they do church. That, that, sink that one in. Those are prophetic words, my friends. No, not really. But like, seriously. That's, you have to understand that like ideas have consequences. The reason that ch certain churches do certain things is because they have an idea of who God is and how he works. And so what we're called to do in our evangelism is called to be faithful to, yes, yes, love people. Yes, have them over for sausage sizzles, blah, 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 blah. Do all that. I hope you do. Hope it's natural. But if you never get to the gospel, you're not doing evangelism. You're just not. You might be a friendly person, but faith comes by hearing and hearing the message of Christ. And so you, you understand, you, you know, we're not going to win people over just because we have this view of God that he's just trying to do everything he can to save people. Is that what we see in Matthew 13? That God's just kind of this pathetic grandpa who's like just wanting to play with his kids and his grandkids and maybe half of them will play with them and half of them won't. Oh, he's just trying to woo them. It's not, that's not the vision of God. God is the one from very, very beginning to end, the one who has his remnant people that he saves for his glory. That's his bride that he chooses. If you just let that, if you just sit on that, you just sit on that. Hopefully you believe it. Not my words, Genesis to Revelation. Hopefully you believe these things. If, I reckon if you sit on that truth, that will color the way that you evangelize. It'll color your expectations of what church should be or shouldn't be. Seriously. And so this truth should really drop us to our knees, A, because of in humility to, and praise God, and B, color and shape the way that we do evangelism. So I'm sure there's stacks and stacks of questions when it comes to evangelism, evangelism and the sovereignty of God. That's a wonderful book, actually, that I recommend. That title, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer. Wonderful book. Sell all you have and go buy that book. 1973, J.I. Packer. I don't remember who publishes it. But I'm particularly excited for next week because next week, you, you begin to wonder, maybe, uh, maybe you felt this, maybe you haven't. I, I, I struggle with this. Do you ever wonder, this is a preview for next week, okay? Do you ever wonder why I mean, you've got the best news in the world, the gospel, right? And if we just think about it, and there, there's four, well, 43 of us in here and however many, 20-something out there, whatever there is. If certainly, every single one of you has 
a family member or a friend or a coworker, someone who's not a Christian, right? I hope so. You know someone in your life that's not a Christian. Like right now, maybe their name's in your head. You would think this is the greatest news in the world that you could just, you could get it sorted today, right? Have them over for a cuppa. This is who God is. This is who man is. This is what Christ has done. Believe in Jesus. Why didn't you tell me sooner? Bang, problem solved. Let's move on. Let's get to another one. You can do that and you'd be amazed. Uh, maybe you ha- maybe experience this. You share the gospel with someone and they go, either hostility, apathy, whatever. And you just go, what's going on? I'm so confused. How could you not accept this? How could you not like, well, I just don't, I don't get it. Jesus explains the re- what's going on underneath all of that with the four, parable of the four soils. Why is it that as the gospel is scattered, some respond quickly and then fizzle out? Why do some not care? Why do some latch onto it and grow? That's what Jesus is gonna explain to us next week. So when we think about evangelism, we think about the sovereignty of God, that's what we're gonna be looking at next week. It's, uh, you're, if you're in the business of sharing Jesus with people, it's extremely relevant. And, and, and it's assuring too. And it's, it's eye-opening. It's, it's, all, it's all of those things. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear next week. Amen? All right. If you are a Christian, again, we love him because he first loved us. If you're a Christian and you're saying, yes, I'm presently right now, like if you were to fall over and die right this second, I'm, how, what, and, and God were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? And you can honestly say in your heart of hearts right now that I am presently trusting in Jesus alone for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. If that's you, then I'd encourage you to celebrate that reality as we pass out the communion. To hold on to the bread, which represents his body, or the cracker, and the juice, which represents his blood. But if you are not a Christian, this, this time of the service is not for you. But it is actually for you in some ways, because do you have ears to hear? Have you turned to Christ? Have you closed with Christ? Why not? So don't just, oh yeah, it's not for me. I guess he, the pastor makes me feel bad about this time of the service and I'm not gonna take it. Okay, well, why? Why, why don't you have confidence that you have union with Christ? Why, why aren't you sure that you can say, yes, I'm trusting in Jesus alone and his promises alone? So we're gonna pass out those elements now. Again, if you're a Christian, let's celebrate that. If you're not, reflect on why you're not. Okay, so hold on to them and then I'll read a portion of scripture and we'll take the elements together.
bread and after breaking it he said this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me let's take and eat together in the same way he took the cup and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this in remembrance of me let's take and drink Guy's going to come up here and close us up. Hope you can be here next week. The parables are fascinating. And um, 
yeah, like I said, if you, if you think a lot about how salvation works and people's response to the gospel, that's what we're going to be talking about next week. It's right there in the text, so it should be good. You stole my summary. That's fair. You appreciate it. So. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, I was really struck that there is, there is parables are a lot more complex than maybe I was first thinking, that there's, there's secret, there's separation, um, but the goodness that that is so God can call his remnant. Um, God gave you your ears and your eyes. Will you be here? Will you see? Um, be here next week to, to dig into that together. Um, there's a few, remember to have a look at the things in the hall. Um, there's the compassion kids to have a look at. Um, there's, I think there's a number, otherwise um, chat to one of the elders if you'd like to um, have a go of sponsoring a child there. Um, there's newsletters, there's cards, and also maybe give the people in the hall maybe half a minute after we wrap up here because they'll still be going on their live stream. Um, so maybe turn to the person next to you, say g'day, um, and ask how they um, went with the sermon and yeah, what to pray for in their life. Um, as I close off, I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Catch you next week.